Smartcast. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 73 of the Burn and Command podcast. I'm your host, Earl Brian. Today's guest is going to be talking about a topic that not a lot of us really like to think about or at least give it its due diligence because it's either over our heads or it's an afterthought, and that's tech. And most specifically, as he puts it, tech debt. And I can't do it justice trying to explain it here, but he does a great job through the course of this uh, podcast talking about what tech debt is and how it really is impacting you, your organization, and your success. So with that, I want to get out of the way here and let you get straight into this interview with Michael Filios. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Bird and Capan podcast. I'm your host, Earl Brian. Today's guest is Michael Filios. Michael, thanks for joining us today. It's my pleasure. Thanks uh, for having me. Yeah, no, I'm really excited about this because this is a topic uh, uh, that, you know, I haven't really thought about. But before we get into that, uh, let me go ahead and give listeners a bio because once they hear the topic, I don't want people to kind of shut down <laughs> because uh, I know IT is something that a lot of us don't really think a lot about. But but here's why you want to listen to this podcast, right? Michael is founder and CEO of IT Ally uh, LLC a C-suite IT and cyber advisory firm for small and mid-sized businesses. He is a four-time CEO and senior global business and technology executive with 25 years of experience in transformation, change leadership, and operations management in the pharmaceutical, industrials, automotive, banking, and consulting industries. His first book, Tech Debt 2.0, How to Future-Proof Your Small Business and Improve Your Tech Bottom Line, was published by the IT Ally Institute in April of 2020. In 2020, he formed the IT Ally Institute to provide research, best practices, thought leadership, and peer-to-peer -peer programs for businesses and IT leaders at small and mid-sized businesses, SMBs. His CIO responsibilities, Chief Information Officer responsibilities, have taken him around the world, including living in Shanghai, China, where he served as Vice President and Divisional CIO at Delphi Automotive and led global IT operations for over 100 plants in 30 countries. At the multi-industrial giant ITT Corporation, he was part of the transformation team that led the successful tax-free spinoffs of ITT's water and defense-related businesses to shareholders. Michael also spent 10 years as an entrepreneur at tech startup BTM Corporation, where as the chief solutions officer, he advised CXOs on implementing transformative technology management practices in the public and private sector. Earlier in his career, he led the finance, human resources, and IT functions at Penwest Pharmaceuticals and worked at consulting firms Grant Thornton and Ernst & Young. Again, Michael, 
great resume. Hopefully my audience appreciates everything that you've done in your career and why you have such a great perspective on the importance of IT that you do. So again, thank you for for being a guest and and bringing that perspective to the listeners. It's my pleasure. So before we get into uh, what tech debt is and why IT should be so important from from a leadership and entrepreneur standpoint, I want to start you off where I start all of my guests. When you hear the phrase burden of command, what does that mean to you? Thanks, Earl, and, and uh, thanks for the introduction as well as for your service. It's very much appreciated. Thank you. Um, you know, this was an interesting question and one that, uh, quite frankly, I, I did prepare a little bit for because it's not a one that you get every day. And, and I know as other guests have talked about it, it can take a different context depending on uh, where, you, where you've come from. Immediately, what came to mind uh, with respect to burden of command was was certainly uh, something of more of a military phrase, and and you can appreciate you know why it's important to have clarity over who's in charge, uh, especially in in military situations where life and death is on the line, and uh, uh, potential split decisions need to be made real time. So I think it's got certain relevance um, there. I also noticed that uh, I wasn't quite sure if there was rel- uh, relatedness to the atlas uh, logo that you have on on your podcast but uh you know being half greek and and a little bit familiar with greek mythology uh looking at atlas as someone that is kneeling in most cases carrying or lifting the globe um, uh, with the world earth on its back certainly uh uh, taking a lot of that on uh would would have a a huge burden of command (laughs) right um when it comes to uh, the phrase, though, in, in more of a corporate uh, and, and business setting, I, I think there are uh, some interesting elements that get down to how burden of command is, is implemented. Uh, so uh, what I mean by that is, is, as an example, as an entrepreneur, you know, personally, I certainly feel uh, a burden of command um, as it relates to running my business and uh, what uh, the implications are as the owner of that business, uh, uh, given my responsibilities, uh, as well as uh, others that are associated with uh, my business. So I certainly feel there's a a burden of command that comes along uh, in that role. Conversely, having spent uh, decades in large, you know, global companies, as you referenced uh, in my background, um, I think I've, I've experienced where a burden of command sometimes um, is, is needed um, given the size and complexity of organizations, sometimes it's very difficult to really understand who is in charge and how decisions get made. And this could have a negative impact uh, on organizations that don't have the ability to move swiftly enough or um, perhaps need lots of people involved in the decision-making process. Uh, so um, one of the, the tools that we actually look at at times when we're trying to refine this uh, overall burden of command Uh, phrase inside of companies, we look at it from an overall governance perspective in terms of decision making. And at the end of the day, uh, fundamentally, what we see is that there really does need to be a clear line of accountability. And, you know, that could be related to the phrase burden of command, where ultimately, that accountable person uh, is the decision maker. And it's not to say that um, you're not doing uh, that in an uh, inclusive process, because the other component of this is who is responsible. 
So uh, with uh, a framework called the RACI, R-A-C-I, which sometimes is used to help define this in companies, uh, the RACI stands for Responsible, Accountable, Consulted, and Informed. Uh, typically, you look at the processes and you try to define uh, who are the different um, stakeholders involved in that process. But the fundamental rule is that you can only have one A, you can only have one person accountable, but you can have multiple R's and multiple C's and multiple I's. Um, again, uh, in the spirit of burden of command, I think that's its intent. Um, today, as we, we live in a very um, uh, inclusive society and one that wants to take in lots of input, which certainly I don't disagree with, uh, I think it's important that you find the right balance and the right context for when burden of command is useful. And uh, uh, certainly in a military perspective, I think it's absolutely essential. Um, when it gets into business, it, it certainly has some uh, shades of gray. Yeah. No, I, I really like that. It's a very well thought out uh, response and I, I appreciate it. And, you know, I, I don't know if you're the first one that's noticed, but you're definitely the first one that, that has mentioned uh, Atlas as, as the logo and, and, and you're, you're dead on. It's exactly why I picked that because, you know, uh, those are familiar with the story. I mean, that, that's literally his lot in life is to hold the world up on his shoulders. And, uh, yeah, and I like a lot of what you said there because you, you hit a bunch of words that, that tie directly into it, you know, responsibility, accountability. Uh, no, I really like that answer, so so thank you for putting that uh, that thought into it. I, I love that. Uh, sure thing. All right, so we're going to be talking about uh, a lot of tech and IT type stuff. So your, the title of your book is uh, Tech Debt 2.0. How to future-proof your small business and improve your tech bottom line. I guess um, one of the the first places to start might be uh, what is tech debt. Yeah, it's it's a great place to start, Earl. And and the reason it's a great place to start is that um, technical debt, um, by definition, uh, has actually been around uh, for about thirty years. Um, However, the definition in its original sense was really meant to talk about how do organizations or developers more specifically manage their software defects. So imagine an example where you are a software developer and you are putting out a new product or new application. Um, it's not always going to be perfect. So there was a trade-off between accepting sort of the debt that went along with that product in the form of software defects that you would uh, acknowledge and essentially release that product, even though it had some potential defects in it. The uh, implication was that you would go back and fix that at a later point in time. So therefore you know the debt is there, you're gonna go back and service that debt. And that's where the definition was born in that very limited view. Now, as we know, over the past 30 years, um, technology has evolved uh, significantly um, certainly when I started my career, it was at the back end of when mainframes, um, you know, big computing systems were coming to their uh, next generation, which began a, uh, a phase of client server technology. Um, of course, then from client server, we moved into the Internet. Uh, and now um, uh, you read much about uh, uh, companies that are using the cloud um, for various things. Right. So. It was that context, plus the fact that uh, you mentioned in my background, having been in finance and, and had an accounting background and, and have been a CFO, uh, 
you know, I didn't realize how important it was to have that accounting and finance background when I became a CIO. Um, and simply because of the fact that there's a significant amount of investment in most companies that goes into IT. So being able to articulate that um, such that business leaders understood it better uh, certainly was another unique perspective um, that I had uh, as an IT and business leader. Um, so given that backdrop, we felt that um, we took a fresh look at the original definition and wanted to expand it uh, to coincide more with the contemporary view of technology today, as I mentioned. And we didn't feel that the spirit of tech debt uh, in its original form really represented uh, how tech debt today can manifest itself in an organization. And therefore, we uh, decided to label it as a 2.0 version and something that we've now expanded on in terms of definition to go beyond just defects uh, that might be known in a software product to pretty much any development or any type of technology decision that's being made related to even purchase software or hardware or data or processes, uh, even in some cases, people, talent, which we can talk about a little bit more as well. Right. So we put a much broader perspective on it. We think it's more relevant in today's modern you know, technology landscape. And, uh, and certainly wanted to make sure that we weren't uh, limiting that definition, given it can have pretty wide uh, sweeping implications on companies that don't manage their tech debt well. Yeah, no, I mean that's uh, I mean that's a good summary there, and and, and I like how well I like how in depth you went with it, uh, because you know I mean I think it's true. Uh, I, I I completely agree. Uh, you know, like we were talking in, in the workup when. Um, when they first sent uh, sent you my way as a guest, I saw the title of the book, and I was like, is this really going to fit in with, with my show? And I started reading more about it and, and doing a little bit more research on it. And I was like, absolutely, because, you know, a significant portion of my listeners are entrepreneurs and, and veterans, and we have a lot of veteran entrepreneurs out there these days. And, um, you know, the, the thing is, and this is something my, my business partner and I have run up against, trying to get our business, the leadership phalanx up and off the ground, is there are a lot of easy solutions out there. You know, our website is hosted through Wix. It took me a couple of pushes of a button to get that up and running. I have no web design background whatsoever, but it's all kind of uh, what you see is what you get type of uh, type of service now. Uh, this podcast is hosted off of Anchor. Uh, they take care of all of the, the technical side of it. I don't have to do much with that. I just uh, find great guests, do a decent recording, upload it, and it's off to the races. When we're talking about taking on uh, payments, we you know use services like Square and things like that that are out there that are easy solutions, right? And so a lot of these things are available now to entrepreneurs to get up and running. And it almost seems like you don't have to pay as much of attention to that tech side. But after reading this, it seems while there's some truth to that, there's also kind of uh, some, some dangers lurking underneath the surface as well, right? Uh, no, it's a, it's a fantastic uh, analogy. And, and, you know, a couple of things I would say to that. For one, you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, technology has, quote unquote, leveled the playing field. Uh, for entrepreneurs and smaller businesses that now have access to technology that otherwise would only be sitting uh, 
in Fortune 500 companies uh, in the past. And a lot of that has been through the advent of the cloud, which now makes technology available with a credit card um, where you can get access to it, whether it's a website, like you mentioned, to be hosted, or if you want to buy a more powerful business application, uh, or in some cases, if you, you want it to manage your servers um, to expand your capacity. So, uh, but this comes along with responsibility as well. It doesn't mean that you're off the hook, so to speak, just because you have this great technology. In fact, it's the opposite, we would argue. It means that you need to pay more attention to this because as I just stated a little bit ago, we know technology is gonna to continue to evolve at rapid paces more than ever, than we've ever seen his historically. Um, however, we believe that it's the management of technology um, that's far exceeds is more important, if you will, than the technology itself. And I usually draw a correlation again because of my accounting roots, going back to uh, looking at accounting as a as a as a discipline uh, has been around for for over 600 years. Well, IT management is probably 60 years old, and that might be pushing it a little bit, Earl. So it uh, certainly doesn't have the length of of experience that you would have in managing accounting. And even with all that experience in accounting, certainly we've seen um, uh, issues occur, uh, uh, even in that realm as well. So, right. so it's a little bit of a double-edged sword, right? I mean, you've got all this great technology available to you than ever before. The cost of technology has come down, but nevertheless, it's created more complexity, and it does require attention. And it should not be considered an afterthought. It should be part of any other uh, business discipline and the way that you think about it and manage it. Um, and certainly, um, tech debt is a, is it, is an integral part of that as well. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, on that note, so in your book, you, you identify three, uh, three distinct types of tech debt, unplanned, creeping, and intentional. So let's talk about those for a second. What is unplanned tech debt? Sure. Uh, so unplanned is, is, as it says, it's, it's really incurred um, due through an unexpected event. Uh, and there's a number of examples that we talk about, but the two that I would give here, one is, is a hardware failure. So companies that have, and this could be something as uh, simple as a PC crash, or uh, perhaps something more severe as a server that's running you know, on your network that takes down the entire uh, application stack. Um, conversely, it could be something that's unplanned uh, due to a cyber attack. Uh, certainly, we're seeing more and more of this, especially during COVID times when uh, opportunistic adversaries are out there trying to spoof us uh, as we were working from home and, and uh, dealing with all of, of that transition. Companies are uh, certainly more vulnerable. So an unplanned uh, tech debt is something that occurs unexpectedly and uh, um, you know, then it's a matter of how the how the company then responds uh, to that. Yeah. So um, using that, you know, kind of example there, if, I, if I'm understanding, um, you know, I'll use uh, kind of one that probably a lot of people are familiar with because of how popular it's become. But uh, Zoom, right? They went from being kind of, a, you know, kind of below the radar. Some people knew about Zoom and were kind of starting to use it, but then it kind of got shoved in their face. But they got in a little bit of trouble very early on because they weren't ready for the surge of users. And there was the whole incident where they failed some U.S. Uh, clients over to Chinese servers and they caught some backlash from that. 
because of, of some of the, you know, the privacy laws in China and the way that works out. And off your background, I'm sure you kind of understand uh, a little bit more about that than the average guest. But that, to me, as I was reading that and listening to your explanation, that sounds like kind of a pretty good example of unplanned tech debt, right? I think so. I mean, I think from the from their perspective, um, they encountered a surge that they weren't really prepared for, right? So it was a good news, bad news story for them. Right. They certainly were benefiting from the increased surge, but um, like many software companies, um, they have inherently continued with that original definition of technical debt in that there's always that trade-off of, we know we're not going to get 100% of all the functionality right, but we want to get it to market. And and uh, if something comes up where we uh, the market tells us about a vulnerability or some sort of feature that's not in our software, we need to remedy it at that time. So it's it could be unplanned or it could be known uh, in that case. Uh, Zoom is a great example of, of once again, uh, all of a sudden, how quickly things can pivot for an organization that otherwise weren't prepared for dealing with remote workers that all of a sudden needed to figure out how they were going to do that safely and securely uh, without giving up productivity. And it's a, it's a great example of, of how technology can be leveraged um, in this case, uh, but it also brought to bear, as you pointed out, uh, some of the underlying um, security implications that need to be um, considered. So it, it did put Zoom on its heels for a bit to get that sorted out. Um, and now if you use Zoom, you can see where your servers are being routed. Um, uh, and there's a little bit more transparency there. Uh, and they've come uh, forward with some of that, I think, in a very positive way to let people know where their data is being transmitted through, uh, if that's stateside or somewhere else. So, um, But it is, it is uh, somewhat of an example of, of how they had to respond and perhaps had some unplanned uh, tech debt uh, that had to be dealt with. Yeah, and I'll agree with that later point there. I think that uh, I think that uh, at least from my perspective, as somebody that's that's kind of purely on on the leadership and uh, development side of things, I think that they uh, they responded beautifully. You know uh, what I what what I liked about their response was they owned it, they explained it, and as you just explained, they took quick corrective action. Uh, and they, you know, they, they didn't try to, to blame it on anybody else. Yeah. Hey, this was our fault. This is exactly what happened. This is what we're doing to fix it. And it really didn't, I mean, like you said, they stumbled a little bit, but it really didn't rock them back on their heels to the point where they were almost out of the game. They fixed it and they moved, you know, they got hit with the zoom bombing incidents. Right. And then they put the, the, Mm -hmm. they, they, they had the pieces in place already to keep that from happening. People just weren't using them, so they just flipped a switch and said, hey, well, now they're going to be automatic. You're going to have to shut them off instead of turn them on. And that's a brilliant, in my opinion, I think that's a brilliant approach for any business, whether it's tech or, or, or you know, we talk about pharmaceuticals or just any business, to own your mistake, take corrective action, and communicate what you did with your customers and move on, Right. Absolutely. I think it was uh, uh, in and out of the news cycle pretty quickly. And I think they've uh, they did certainly um, uh, do the right thing in that case. Yeah. So the second type of uh, tech debt that you uh, you talk about is creeping tech debt. What is that all about? Yeah. So this is where, you know, tech debt gets a little bit more stealthier. Um, And uh, lots of times in organizations, uh, there could be individuals or teams making decisions 
that are adding risk to your organization that you're not even a part of perhaps as that owner or as that uh, uh, CEO or, or C-suite leader. So when we talk about creeping, this is something that occurs gradually um, over time and it goes somewhat unnoticed. Uh, and the example we call out here, which I've you know personally uh, have experienced and I've been working with several clients to figure out how to address is that let's say you did buy um, an off the shelf piece of technology. We talk a lot about ERP or enterprise resource planning software. So let's say you did buy something that was off the shelf. So like you said earlier, you wanna benefit from somebody else's technology. We don't have to create it ourselves. But then over the course of time, you've maybe customized that software uh, so much that uh, it doesn't resemble what it was when you purchased it. Well, there's a bit of trade-off there in terms of taking on some of that debt in the sense that you've customized it so it operates exactly how you want it to as your business. However, as we know, as the software changes and upgrades are added, uh, it may not be as uh, uh, interoperable uh, with, with those updates. So what we find uh, happening here is that you've actually been accruing debt over time. Um, and uh, in some cases, we've seen it as long as decades, where now companies are faced with uh, what do they do with this software that they've outgrown? Um, where they're not able to meet uh, current customers' needs or they're not able to uh, um, launch into new markets or serve new products or perhaps they've made an acquisition and they're not able to integrate easily. So it's now become a liability of something that was an asset is now a liability. So um, this is something that, again, it's more gradual. It's a little bit more harder to, to identify. Uh, and if you are not managing your technology um, in the manners that we uh, speak to, uh, it can result in something that, in financial terms, could be a balloon payment, um, you know, a debt, a loan that's maturing, and at some point you're going to have to service it. Okay. So, you know, I know you, you focus a lot on, on small businesses, but as I was hearing this one and hearing you, or was reading on this one and hearing you, uh, describe it. The one thing that kind of popped into my head, and, and correct me if I'm uh, if I'm way off here, but it's kind of it seems somewhat like what uh, the big phone companies are going through now, right? Like with with Apple and uh, with with Android and with Microsoft uh, operating systems, where now thanks to COVID nineteen. They had some software out there that was that was designed to do one thing, but now they're being tasked to kind of modify things specifically for, say, contact tracing for COVID-19 purposes. Mm -hmm. You know, I would imagine when they designed a lot of their software, it was around, you know, retail tracking and things like that. You know, I'm one of those people I love using my iPhone features, and I like the fact that if I keep on uh, uh, my uh, uh, my positioning, you know, the app for the store I'm in is like front and center on my phone, right? Mm -hmm. But now they're being looked at to help aid federal government, CDC, in contact tracing for COVID cases. Would that be an example of this this kind of creeping kind of tech debt, or am I off on that? No, I, I think it's a good example. And, and again, this is not a, a tech debt is not exclusive to small businesses. It's just that the risks may be a bit higher for them 
uh, certainly in my career as a CIO, I've witnessed my fair share of tech debt in large global companies that had plentiful resources. I think the example you're giving, uh, you can talk about it, let's say, just call it more broadly as it relates to infrastructure, mm-hmm. whether it's infrastructure in the telecommunication space and, and how long it's taking us to get to 5G, for example, uh, or it could be in our, our, our uh, airport. Uh, airports where we've got uh, air traffic control systems that uh, are mostly all using radar technology from the 50s. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it uh, and and to compound that, um, uh, you know, having lived in other countries, uh, particularly living in, in Asia and seeing some of the speed at which these technologies can be adopted, um, they don't have the legacy infrastructure that we've built in the States. So they're easy, it's easier for them to quickly adapt take advantage of these technologies. So um, you're right, um, that is a form of tech debt that's incurred over time, it's creeping. And if all we do is kick the can down the road um, and save it for the next person or for the next company or for the next investor, at some point it's gonna catch up to you. And uh, it will have those implications like you referred to where we can't take advantage of something that's new that we know has extreme benefit and value, but we can't take advantage of it. Um, That's fundamentally what we're talking about here. Um, This is not a technology conversation, although technology is at the core. This is a business conversation whereby business and technology intersect. And I can't think of many use cases today from running a business, just like you were describing your business. Um, where you're using technology uh, to either drive efficiency, uh, to create long-term value, uh, to service your, your clients or customers, uh, so on and so forth. So uh, that's the reason why this has become a more complex matter than just software defects. Well, yeah, and I, I couldn't agree more. And I would think, you know, when you look at, you know, when you look at the landscape of entrepreneurship right now, I don't remember the numbers. I was reading an article on Forbes just a while ago, but they talked about, um, I want to say it was 10 years ago, the the largest percentage of entrepreneurial endeavors were usually kind of in in, uh, the restaurant uh, sector. Mm -hmm. And now the vast majority of of entrepreneurial startups are in some, some facet in the tech sector. And, uh, you know, I think reading through these, it's, it's important for businesses to not only think about it from, from their personal driving, you know, the, their needs and resources, but the, the, the resources that they offer out as part of, uh, part of what they do, why they exist, right? It's a business model. I mean, I, I think you're absolutely right. And, and uh, you know, when we engage with, with clients, you know, we, we don't like to talk tech. I mean, there's a time and place for it. But at the end of the day, it's really talking about how can we leverage tech to solve a business problem or to create some advantage or to make you more relevant or to serve your customers. Um, and that's why in the third example here, we, we wanted to give a, 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 at least a nod towards, you know, this notion of intentional because we, we understand that not all debt is bad mm-hmm. um, as long as you are being intentional about it. Right. And, right. and in this case, we define it as such where management or leadership or the owners are taking a conscious decision around accepting that risk. And, and certainly we're seeing a little bit more of this now as businesses are under some financial 
challenges due to COVID and their business perhaps uh, are, are suffering, um, where they've got to make some tough decisions around should they invest in this new piece of technology or do they pay their employees? Do they uh, expand or open up a new plant or do they upgrade this particular technology? Um, those are tough decisions um, that every you know, business uh, is facing today. So in this case, what we're talking about, it's intentional because you understand the risk of deferring that debt payment, but you do know that you're eventually going to have to deal with it at, at some point in time. So we see this a lot um, with either um, PC or, or hardware refreshes, uh, as you would refer to them. So there's a useful life. I mean, you probably experience it within your your personal life with a phone or with a PC. I mean, how many years can you sweat that asset before it's time to to get a new one, right? right. And in some cases, you want to make that asset last as long as possible. Uh, as long as you're doing it willingly and knowingly and intentionally, we, we believe that's okay. Uh, but you do understand the risks and the trade-off of that decision. And that's really what we're getting at here with intentional tech debt. Yeah. Well, and that's an important piece of it too, right? I mean, I, I love the, the explanation here of intentional. I think that was uh, very clear. Hopefully everybody got that. Uh, but if you need a refresher, let me go ahead and talk about the book here again. Uh, Tech Debt 2.0, How to Future-Proof Your Small Business and Improve Your Tech Bottom Line. Uh, you know, it got all the stuff in here that Michael and I have been talking about so far. Uh, but, you, but you hit on something right there that I think is extremely important as well is how rapidly technology is changing, whether it is software, whether it is hardware. Um, I mean, there's a quote and I've used on this show several times before it's unattributed as of right now, but it says change is changing faster than change has ever changed before. (laughs) (laughs) And it's, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, in a pre-workup we were talking about, uh, you know, so I'll share with the listeners here. I uh, was watching a show uh, titled Console Wars, and it was talking about how when Nintendo uh, moved into the American market and then Sega tried to follow in behind them, uh, the 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 kind of tech battle that they had going on there. But in the show, uh, and some of the folks who listen to this looking at my demographics are probably not even going to know what I talk about when I say uh, a camcorder. Uh, but, but in the show, they were at an electronics expo and they were interviewing a guy. He was doing a, uh, uh, he was doing a review of the latest, uh, handheld camcorder. And it was, you know, it was one of the first models that you could just hold in the palm, it had the little hand strap and you hold it in the palm of your hand. And, you know, it shot on the little, uh, uh, the, the micro VHS tapes, you know, this was cutting technology. And, uh, the, the anchor, I believe it was Paula Zahn for some reason she asked is, you know, do, do you see these things getting any smaller? And he very calmly is like, no, I don't think so. You know, this one's already kind of hard to to manage. It's a little shaky. He says, I think if you get any smaller than this, it's not going to be worth it. Well, you know, now, <laughs> you know, how small are cameras now, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we've got, them, uh, we've got them in glasses. We've got them in pens. We've got tiny, tiny cameras everywhere. And Absolutely. Just kind of, yeah, and so you, you run a risk of just saying, oh, no, this is good as it gets. That That's a terrible idea to take with tech, right? 
Yeah. And then if you don't do it, your competitors are. I mean, look at the businesses that have been disrupted um, through technology when others have been a sort of asleep at the wheel. And we did talk about this uh, in, in the workup as well, is that some companies look at IT as, as a, a necessary evil or an afterthought of keeping the lights on. And it's just purely about operational. Um, you know, there's been a lot of evolution on this topic and, and subject that gets heavily debated on the role of the CIO and the role of technology and organization, so on and so forth. Um, but clearly those companies that are looking at it as a strategic weapon and look at it in terms of uh, continuous investment uh, and don't go through this uh, sort of fad dieting of I'm going to lose weight and put weight back on and you know, uh, uh, up and down yo-yoing through my technology landscape, you know, it's, it's going to eventually, you know, have some implications on you and the health of your business. So, um, that's our philosophy. And that's something that, that I've lived personally over three decades, um, certainly, uh, in large and small company as a, and as an entrepreneur. So it really is a business question. And, Although we're, we're sort of hitting upon it in this book on the debt side, which is really more of a liability, um, uh, we certainly believe there's an asset side to this or tech equity that you can create uh, by managing it uh, and leveraging it uh, appropriately. So that's the, con, that's the uh, contrarian view to tech debt. <laughs> well, no, I mean, it's, it's important and it's, you know, so... I'll share I'll share a story with you. I actually I've never shared this story on here before. So uh, finally, my listeners are like he he does know some more stories, right? Uh, <laughs> but but as as this COVID nineteen thing is a, a kind of evolved, and we've seen people change the way that they use tech quite drastically. I mean, I know my wife and I we honestly have set foot in a physical grocery store. I think maybe maybe four times since March. Everything else has been shipped, Instacart, uh, Amazon Fresh. But but what got me to think about this was uh, when I was at the Marines, stationed in Okinawa, Japan, there was a, a, a gentleman I was stationed with, Chris Thompson. And I remember, this was the late 90s, and this guy, he was, he was a dreamer. He was a big dreamer. Uh, he was taking all these tests. He wanted to get, uh, he wanted to go to medical school, and he wanted to be an anesthesiologist. And I remember asking him, why an anesthesiologist? He goes, because they make really good money, and I need that money to pursue my real dream. I go, what's your real dream? He goes, I've got this idea. I want to build an online grocery store. And I remember him telling us this, right? And we're like, what are you talking about, man? This, this was the mid to late 90s. When nobody's going to buy groceries online. He's like, no, I want to build an online grocery store. I think this is the wave of the future. And, you know, I, I sit here and, and uh, I remember his name. I've lost touch with him. But I'm sitting here hoping like, man, I hope this guy followed through on his dream right now because he is just swimming in money. But that's kind of one of the things with tech that you have to really be able to do is is – have that bold vision of what tomorrow can look like, right? For sure. For sure. And I know uh, we'll probably talk a little bit about some of the other types of tech that, um, you know, that, that uh, can manifest themselves in an organization, but, but, but yes, it's absolutely true. And again, we see a, a difference in those companies that are um, outperforming their peers based on how they view tech as, as a differentiator 
um, and have some good sound management practices to back it up. Yeah, well, I tell you what, let's go ahead and dive in that. So what are some other types of tech debt that folks need to look out for? Well, again, I think um, uh, we we didn't we talked mostly from a, a physical sense of it's a, a PC or server or hardware and things of that nature. Right. Um, but there's two other examples that I would say we see manifest themselves. One is around data, uh, and the other is around talent. Right. And uh, so, data. When you think about data, and of course now all we can talk about uh, uh, when we get into conversations around data is either you know artificial intelligence or big data analytics and and all of a sudden data has now become the crown jewel uh, for organizations that have at least a foundation for technology and have a and have the ability to harvest that data for real insights and decision making well you know for larger companies that are on this journey i think uh, it certainly has proven to be something that's at times elusive but also can be very um uh, impactful uh, in terms of creating that differentiation in customer experience. For smaller businesses, lots of times uh, data is something that is uh, poorly managed. Um, it, it could mean uh, the fact that it's sitting in multiple databases and structures where there's not a whole lot of uh, uh, harmonization. Uh, that could lead towards what we say is multiple versions of the truth. Uh, mm. Two people show up into a meeting and they've got reports and they're talking about their sales and the numbers are completely different uh, or they're talking about their profits and they can't ask answer basic questions around who are our most profitable customers uh, which are our most profitable products or, or markets um, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that data hasn't been managed as an asset and much of this data is now electronic and the ability for you to have appropriate um, discipline in place to, to, to have data management um, such that it can become an asset is is a potential form uh, of tech debt. Uh, so we we like to advise our clients not to get solely focused just on the actual physical uh, hardware and servers and things of that nature, but also make sure that we give proper attention to the data, along with the processes too. I mean, the processes are also very important here too. I mean, there's lots of companies that are still operating with manual processes or non-automated or semi-automated processes. And of course, uh, you know, that can create lots of, of waste uh, and an organization and, and, and uh, lack of efficiency. So uh, certainly technology can help to enable uh, uh, those processes, you know, uh, uh, in, in lots of cases. Um, the other uh, interesting and probably not as intu intuitive is, is around talent. So we find, uh, especially with small businesses, that they seem to get IT talent from a variety of different sources. And in some cases, it can be, uh, and, and these are not exaggerations, it, it could be a, a, a college student or an intern. Uh, it could be a neighbor or family friend. Uh, it could be a third party uh, 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 consultant and someone that's been with the company. Or it could be someone on their staff that's just been there for several decades and, and knows everything about that system. Well, you know, in some cases, these are, are good options. Um, however, again, if going unattended, especially given with the pace of technology changes, you could wind up having tech debt that's a result of, of your talent. And what we mean by that is in the example of where someone that's been with that company for decades uh, and knows everything perhaps hasn't written it down. Uh, perhaps hasn't documented things such that if they're no longer there, they win the lottery 
um, you're going to find yourself with what we call a key man risk uh, mm -hmm. in your business. So um, talent is one of those areas of tech debt that we felt was important. Um, and certainly in today's technology landscape, uh, IT professionals need to work really hard uh, to stay current um, with how fast technology is changing. And um, so we give some other suggestions in terms of how you can deal with that uh, from a tech debt management perspective, but it's a little bit uh, it's a it's a little bit broader definition than historical. So we felt it was important to to incorporate some of the, some of these areas as well. Yeah, no, I mean those are uh, th those make perfect sense, and you know I would imagine, especially on the data piece, you know one thing we've seen over the past few years is is the more data an organization has. Uh, and collects uh, every piece of data uh, has its own value assigned to it by uh, what some people call bad actors or, or cyber uh, cyber criminals. And the more data you collect, no matter what it is, the more vulnerable and the more appealing you are to those uh, to those people as targets, right? Uh, well, that's true. You know, there's uh, uh, certainly um, the value on the dark web of someone's name, combining that with a social and combining that with an address and combining that with other pieces of information uh, starts to grow exponentially in terms of value. Uh, so you're right. Uh, uh, making sure that not only are you collecting the right data, but it's secured and Certainly, if you have vulnerable systems or systems that haven't been patched and managed, um, getting access to that data uh, is going to be a lot easier uh, for the adversaries that are, you know, uh, uh, very sophisticated in their in their means. So, uh, if you are going to get into the data uh, realm, you've got to make sure that it's it's not only, um, you know, the data itself, but it's all the disciplines that go around it in terms of protecting it and securing it. Uh, as well as then managing it uh, for uh, from a value perspective. So um, again, this is an area where many small businesses are just getting their heads wrapped around trying to figure out how do they leverage data as an asset um, when they're still trying to figure out, you know, how do they upgrade their servers um, yeah. because they're not they're they're keeping them on their own premises versus moving them into the cloud uh, where somebody else can take care of that infrastructure for them. So it's a transition. That we're in the midst of here, um, but certainly there's some uh, broad implications of, of data uh, from a cybersecurity standpoint that you need to be mindful of, and a privacy uh, and a regulatory perspective. It's not just the cyber side; it's it's also a compliance question, uh, as certainly we've learned through the recent um, uh, privacy regulations that are uh, starting to become more pervasive. Yeah, well, yeah. And, you know, I know we're, we're sitting here, uh, we're at 45 minutes already. This conversation has really flown and I've, I've uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. But I know one of the things that we haven't had a chance to talk about yet um, is uh, you identify some tools for diagnosing uh, your tech debt. Uh, do, do you think you can uh, talk about that for a few minutes here real quick? Yeah, I can do that very briefly. Uh, so, so once again, Earl, I mean, we didn't want to just say, okay, here's all the different types of things that can cause tech debt. We, we wanted to provide some tools and ways to measure um, how an organization, think of it like your um, a FICO score that evaluates a, an individual's creditworthiness. Right. Uh, we developed a tech debt 2.0 diagnostic to help 
uh, determine how an organization is in terms of uh, potential uh, root causes of tech debt that might be in their organization. So in short, what we've done is we, we've looked at our, our overall management uh, frameworks and we identified 54 different uh, dimensions and nine areas. And we offer this assessment tool uh, for uh, our, our clients and others with respect to um, researchers um, as a part of our overall, uh, uh, the, uh, as part of the uh, IT Ally Institute. And um, out of this uh, diagnostic, um, you will get a detailed report, including a rating. And that rating system is numerical. Think of that as your tech debt score. And in the book, we've uh, identified, again, similar to a FICO rating, where you have a poor, fair, good, or excellent. And uh, in short, on the poor level, um, tech debt is, is being reactively managed by IT, and it could have a significant impact on your business performance. On the uh, opposite side of that spectrum, your tech debt score of an excellent is talking about tech debt being proactively managed together with the business and IT proactively with a strong focus on using tech to drive innovation and customer experience and operational excellence. So it's a higher degree of maturity associated um, with that. Uh, to date, uh, we've not seen uh, terribly too many companies that are hitting the excellent mark, um, but certainly that's the point also is that we can fix a baseline and then um, uh, ensure that those companies at least understand where they need some improvement and they can work on that as a continuous improvement process. Mm. And these are, uh, so in the book towards, towards the end, uh, these are the same questions that are available in the book or is this a different set of questions? No, it's the same. We basically, uh, in the book, we've, we've provided, uh, this as well as, uh, uh, purchasers of the book would have the ability to get a code that would allow them to go take this, assessment online um, and they would then get a uh, full uh, uh, report of their score as well as the underlying responses and interpretation of that uh, as a part of it. So that's that's what's available and those questions are the same uh, in print as they are on the online tool. Outstanding. Well, see, there you go, folks. That right there alone is worth uh, worth the price of admission is getting that, uh, uh, that, tech, debt, uh, that tech debt score. Uh, so again, we've been talking with uh, Michael Filios, uh, author of Tech Debt 2.0, How to Future-Proof Your Small Business and Improve Your Tech Bottom Line. Well, Michael, we're sitting in about 50 minutes or so right now, uh, usually a good time to start closing things out, uh, but is there anything that we didn't get a chance to, uh, to discuss that you would like to discuss with listeners? Um, there's just one other topic we sometimes get into in this conversation, uh, Earl, uh, is is around how does tech debt impact the overall uh, buying and selling of companies during the due diligence process? And if any of your listeners are uh, are looking to uh, sell their business or potentially acquire business, um, we do get involved with a lot of due diligence efforts where uh, we are being asked to evaluate um, whether we are buying a company and we're assessing how much tech debt they may have or if we're selling a company. Uh, to determine how much they've managed their tech debt, which can create value. So depending on which side of the ball that you're on, uh, tech debt can have an impact on that business valuation. So it's just another example of, of how this can manifest itself in buying or selling a business, um, which is another reason that you should pay attention to it. Um, 
given those might be options for you in terms of growth. Uh, so it, it can have an impact uh, and, and certainly taking the assessment might understand a little bit more about where those vulnerabilities are. Oh, no, that's outstanding. That's a, an aspect I actually didn't really uh, really think about. So thank you for, for bringing that up. It makes perfect sense. Uh, but again, I think these are things that a lot of a lot of entrepreneurs today with the ease of access, as you talked about, to these cloud applications, just don't really consider as part of their day-to-day strategy. So, you know, thank you for, for writing this book and making it, you know, easily digestible. This is a, it's a short book. It's a short read. Got a lot of good, uh, got got a lot of good information in here, and I really highly suggest anybody who is an entrepreneur uh, pick up a copy of the book, take that uh, assessment, and uh, see how you're doing. And once they do that, if they need help, uh, further guidance, uh, and they want to reach out to to you and uh, the the IT Ally uh, folks, how can they do that? Sure. No, thanks for asking, uh, Earl. So you can find me on LinkedIn uh, at Michael Filios. Uh, that's F as in Frank, I-L-L-I-O-S. Um, you can also follow me on Twitter at MC Filios. Uh, and you can reach us on our website at www.itallyinstitute.org, as well as our uh, commercial site, itallyllc.com. Um Certainly, you can find the book anywhere where books are sold. And uh, I really appreciate uh, the conversation today, Earl. It's been uh, it's been terrific. No, I I feel the same. I really appreciate it. And and listeners, I will have those I will have those links as part of the show notes. So all you got to do is click on the link and uh, go right there and, and be able to take advantage of of all that uh, Michael and his uh, folks have to offer. And uh, just want to echo something you just said there. I really do appreciate the conversation. Uh, and I really do appreciate you taking the time and, and kind of shining a light on this uh, uh, this kind of darkened corner of, of business. Uh, I'm sure you're doing a lot of good with this, so I really appreciate that. It's my pleasure. Thanks so much. Yeah, absolutely. And listeners, thank you for, uh, for being with us. Uh, I hope that uh, you got some good value out of this. I hope you go pick up a copy of the book and uh, take a look at your tech debt. See, uh, see how you're doing. And uh, if you need some help. Make use of those links in the show notes and reach out to Michael. Uh, if you have any comments, questions, or concerns for me, you know the drill. Reach out to me at burden.command at gmail.com. That's burden.command at gmail.com. Uh, keep up with the, the rating, reviewing, and subscribing of the show and sharing it out with, uh, with everybody uh, that you know. Really appreciate you helping this thing grow. Uh, to get the messages like Michael has uh, spread far and wide. Uh, You're doing good work every time you do that, so really, really appreciate that. Uh, With that, thank you for listening in, and I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Electrocast.
Miles, are you ready to record our promo for Season 2 of the Wanna Bet Podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that Season 2 starts August 18th. But I like Airplane. I know you do, but Wanna Bet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. So no more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric acid. Electric acid.